0: The following sermon is from Christ Church, Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. We are going to conclude our series from Psalm 23 this morning. And so if you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it, uh, even if it's on your mobile device or whatever. Um, We're going to be in verse 6 as we consider David's vision of the future. I can't imagine a more fitting verse for this kind of pivot we're in this last week of the year, last Sunday, 2021, looking into 2022, uh, all of us kind of experiencing the in-between feelings of evaluating the past and anticipating the future. And I believe that God's gonna speak to us today through his word. So would you look to Psalm 23, we're gonna read all six verses together and then focus in on verse six together. Here's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, we thank you for your word that has been read in our hearing. We thank you that it has power to transform. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to create, fertile soil in our hearts. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. God, we wanna have our faith strengthened. We wanna have our perspective of you clarified and we wanna hear your voice. And so with all the distractions of being uh, in an uncomfortable place in an unusual setting, God, we know that you are present and you wanna speak. And so give us everything we need to receive every good thing from your hand. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen. Amen, so we're wrapping up Psalm 23. And uh, if you are joining us for the first time, um, we'd love for you to connect with the rest of the series. We've really enjoyed it. Um, You won't need to, to benefit, but uh, we'd love for you to be a part of what God's been doing here at Christ Church. And if you are watching for the first time, this isn't normal for us. And so uh, we'd love to have you visit on a Sunday or live stream on a Sunday morning when things are a little bit more normal. But I'm excited to conclude the series and to be with you in this format here at the last Sunday of 2021. Uh, as we look to this Psalm, which finds at the center of it, this phrase, for you are with me. It seemed a, a fitting Psalm for us to consider around Christmas time, where God comes to dwell as man with man so that he can atone for us, so that he can attune to us. And so that we can be one with him forever and to experience the eternal life that we were meant to experience from the very beginning. and that withness of God, that closeness of God is what is now creating eyes to see a future for the Psalmist David. And it's the eyes that I want us to be able to have a little bit more this morning. The motif has moved from sheep and shepherd being cared for as sheep to being an honored guest with God as host. And now uh, it's really this picture of a, a protected child, someone who's being brought into the most intimate place to be made home with God forever. As I mentioned, verse six is all about the future. Two times you see in this verse, the word shall or will. Uh, David is considering what the future will hold for him and really in two timeframes. And that's what we're gonna do with our time this morning is consider how he looks at the first time frame as he calls all the days of my life, kind of from here to my end and then forever, the rest of everything that we have because of the life we have in God. And it's amazing to me as I just have spent these last five weeks considering God as my shepherd and my own tendencies to look to myself as shepherd, to put my hope in a human leader, or some entity, corporation, organization, government, and hope that they'll take care of me, protect me, lead me, create a safe environment for me. And the reality is, is that no one is capable of doing that. Anyone that we expect to do that will ultimately disappoint us. We'll find ourselves disillusioned and resentful. And really, even if we try to take that role on for ourselves, we'll find ourselves anxious um, and stressed and worried. And it's, it's terrible for us because we were made by God for God. And we need a leader, we need a shepherd. And we have a shepherd, a good shepherd in the person of Jesus. When I consider what my disposition would be without Jesus and his leadership, his shepherding, at this juncture of every year, I do this thing where I look back and I evaluate what I've experienced compared to what I expected at the beginning of the year. Obviously 2020 threw us all for a loop. I think all of us had high expectations for what 2020 could look like because of what we had just been through. And then yet again, another roller coaster. And so without the good shepherd, my brain instantly goes to evaluating the details, what happened, what it was like, and then making some calculations about the way things are now and what could change for the better, for the worst. And then projecting into the future of what I expect could happen on the worst case scenario, might happen on the best case scenario, and then positioning myself to benefit maximally. And all of that all that mental energy, all that spiritual energy is it's shepherd work, it's not sheep work. And here, David has prepared his heart to follow, to trust in the good shepherd, to know that there are still waters ahead, green pastures ahead, that there is safe passage through dark valleys, that there is meals to be enjoyed in God's presence and protection from our enemies. And no matter what we walk through, which is unknown to us, that our peace comes from being led and cared for and protected by the shepherd, and so instead of having a past and future time frame, which is typical of us when, when we try to shepherd our own lives, David presents for us a future and further future perspective with with Jesus as our shepherd or Yahweh as David knew him before Christ. Regardless of your recent or distant past, those circumstances do not influence your projections of the future no the the nearness of god is what becomes the lens that gives us hope for our future the future of our days and our eternity in any situation and at any time and so what is david's expectation and how can that translate to us how can we take on that expectation as we encounter god as our shepherd well let's look at those two time frames together number 1 all the days of my life from this point forward. Uh, I've spent some time looking backward, uh, turning 40 this year and considering what zero to 20 was like and 20 to 40 was like and how children and marriage changed my life and uh, ministry and calling and vocation and kind of all the stuff that brought me to here. And and then who knows what the future is going to hold. And it's very easy for me to have a lot of fog out there in the future. But the one thing that I can hold on to, the one thing that I can bank on is that God has been with me, is with me and will be with me forever. And I love the way that David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. As you consider however many days you have between now and the day that you go to meet the Lord face to face, what can you be confident in? Look at this word, surely. Uh, this word surely always reminds me of the movie Airplane uh, where the, I think it was, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Funny, funny guy, he, uh, they said, uh, surely you can't be serious. And he says, I am serious and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> but surely it means certainly or only. Uh, it's translated in other places. This is a high degree of confidence that no matter what comes, I know that I know that I know that what is coming my way is goodness and mercy, the Hebrew word for good or goodness. Uh, we see it from the very outset of the Bible. In fact, the creation narrative, it abounds 14 times in just, two, in just over two chapters where God makes everything and behold, it was good. And he saw that it was good. And he saw that it was good. And he said that it was good. And it was good, it was good, it was good. And God's creation is inherently good. What God has for us is inherently good. Um, your life is inherently good. Your relationships are inherently good. This world is inherently good. All this is a gift from God. Um, it's, been, it's been tainted by sin, it's been broken. It's under judgment and a curse. But even in the midst of that, we have a good God who came in to redeem and to restore a good creation and to make for himself a perfected people. And he did that through the Christmas story by coming, becoming one with us, by being with us and bringing his goodness to bear away the evil so that in him, we could have forgiveness and transformation and that he could heal our whole world. And so the Psalmist here, David, he's convinced that no matter what comes, what God intends for him and what he will bring about in his life through all circumstances is goodness, is goodness. And what we have to be thankful for, when I just consider uh, the hard things that people I love have been through, the loved ones we've lost this year, uh, those who are in the middle of something, some suffering or sickness or sadness, uh, we still have a God who is with us and who has done everything to redeem us out of this world and to preserve us through this world. And so we can expect along the way that God is going to be good and we are gonna experience his goodness. And part of the reason for that is the second thing, surely goodness and mercy. These are two things that are interconnected. One is our experience of God's blessings, but the other one is the motive that God has. That word translated mercy here is a word we talk about a lot. It's chesed, it is God's steadfast love, God's tender mercy. There aren't good English it, there is no English word to capture its full meaning. And so these these combo phrases start to fill out in the English translations of the Bible. Here, it's simply translated mercy. In English, mercy is, um, is uh, God's favor towards us when we don't deserve it, or even when we deserve something worse, instead we get something good. But that doesn't even capture the heart of God. That is just one application of how God feels about you. God has a relentless love towards you. God has a desire to be with you. God has a missionary heart, a father's heart to run after you and to rescue you and to protect you and to establish you and to restore you and to confirm you and to bring you home. And that love of God is always after you. And David learned that when he made the Lord his shepherd and when he trusted in the Lord and followed him, no matter what circumstances he walked through, what he found was that he would experience the love of God for him and the good things that God wanted to do for him. It didn't absolve the difficulty. It didn't take him out of the painful circumstances, but it brought him through the valley. And I think it's just amazing to me to consider this word follow. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow because this passage has been about leadership. It's been about him making us to lie down in Korean pastures, leading us beside still waters leading us in paths of righteousness, moving us through the valley and protecting us from our enemies. And yet, as we get into verse six, the verbiage changes from him leading us to something following us. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This word translated follow, rafda, it is a word that's not often translated follow. More often it's translated pursue, or even chase sometimes even persecute and the, the word expresses this idea of going after something to overtake it and then to fulfill your purpose. And so when it's an army going after another army, they're pursuing them. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, you see this word used, it's followed by they pursued and they overtook, they pursued and they destroyed. Sometimes it's used of bringing an urgent message to somebody in the Bible. And so they pursued them with this news until they reached them. But the, the connotation here is it's not just a following behind. You can have this idea of being kind of just followed or something's near behind you, always behind you. No, but it's going to close that gap. It's going to overtake you, meet and accomplish its purpose. And what does David believe is going to pursue him and chase him down and, and meet with him and overtake him and accomplish its purpose? It's that God's goodness and God's tender mercy, his steadfast love is going to overtake us. I don't know if you were waiting for some packages to be delivered leading up to the days before Christmas. We got a rush of packages on Thursday before Christmas Eve of our last minute things that we all hope for. And some of the things that they said, oh, they're not gonna be here until next week. They got rushed and they made it there in time. And I just think about uh, Amazon and UPS and FedEx and the postal service, they're they're doing their best to get everything to us by a certain time. Uh, they're they're pursuing us and they, they, they reach their destination. And this is what God's goodness and his tender mercy, his steadfast love is doing for every single one of us. And this is important because without a shepherd, we try to project into the future and be prepared to, to anticipate every circumstance and to be ready to take it on and to have to have hedged our bets and to protected our weak spots. And 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 we find it all kind of on us. And here David's going, I don't know what the future holds, but I do know that as I follow the good shepherd, I can expect to be pursued and overtaken by his goodness and experience his love. It also means there's a little gap there. If his if it's his goodness and mercy are following us, then the idea there is he's leading us somewhere And there's a little gap between the time we follow him into an unknown circumstances and his blessing, his goodness and mercy kind of catch up with us and overtake us. And it's in that gap that God calls us to put our trust in him, to walk with him, to know him, to remind ourselves of what's true about him and to relate to him based on who he is and what he has promised. See, God's always gonna create an opportunity for us to strengthen our faith in him, to trust in his faithfulness, to wait to see him act and all throughout the scriptures we see story after story after story after story god God could have uh, eliminated Israel's enemy before ever meeting with Gideon in the wine press. But instead uh, he met with him. He said, you are a mighty warrior. No, he wasn't. And then he brought him to this place of leadership and he wasn't a leader and he had all these troops and he made his army smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and he made it seem impossible. Why, why all that even brought him into the enemy's camp to hear about the, the nightmares that the enemy was having of their coming destruction. Why would God go all to that trouble except to capture Gideon's heart? and to provide an example for us that as we walk through difficult circumstances and unknown futures to us, that the God who is leading us is pursuing us with both goodness and mercy. And that gap requires faith. Maybe you're watching this live stream and somebody shared it with you or asked you to listen to it, or you're staying at a loved one's house and they have it blaring in the TV in the living room and you're overhearing it from the kitchen and you're not a person of faith. Maybe all, all the kind of questions about God, all the things that you've heard, all the things that you've seen has just made you say, no, that's not for me. But the reality is that it is for you. I mean, God made you, you exist in the heart and mind of God. He spoke you into being, he crafted your life and he's been attending every moment of your life. He knows every intimate detail and he is chasing after you. Even the fact that you're hearing these words and they're finding a home in your heart. Even if there's resistance is, there, is, is, is resounding with the fact that God loves you and wants to bring goodness to you and has lived and died to save you and is offering you not only salvation for eternity after you die, but a life all the days of my life would be characterized by the constant pursuit of God's goodness and mercy. That's what he wants you to experience. And he wants you to begin to know him as the God who leads and leads into an unknown future, but follows up with goodness and mercy. And for those of us who've been following the Lord any length of time, we know this to be the case. We've been in terrible circumstances where we couldn't see this far in front of our own face and we were crying out to God and we just kept putting one foot in front of the other and doing what he called us to do and putting our hope in him and crying out to him in prayer, only to see him prevail in our circumstances, only to find him near and comforting, only to experience the pursuit of his goodness and mercy. If you were in the room, I'd say, can I get an amen? And I would expect loud shouts of amen because that's who our God is. And so David looks to this kind of first futuristic time period, all the days of my life between now and when I die, I can expect that God's God's goodness and mercy will pursue me. And he says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever forever. And so now David lifts up even from his distant future, all the days that are before him to what God actually made him for. And that is eternity. Uh, I love that Ecclesiastes 3.11 describes this experience we all have with eternity future. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And so we have, this, we have this innate understanding of living forever and yet all of us are facing down our imminent death. And so we know that we know that we were made for more and we can't look back because we weren't there. And so we have this concept that there's a God who's in control of it all and exists from beginning to end. And yet that is outside of the scope of our ability to fathom. And so when this good news of great joy, that's for all people, God with us, Emmanuel, the Messiah, Christ, our savior is born in Bethlehem. Everything we're celebrating at Christmas is the reality, the omnipotent, eternal God, self-sustaining, independent creator of all things, created us for himself. And when we went astray, he became one of us so that he might redeem us back from the curse of the law and to save a people for himself and then to bring us into this forever. And you are made for that forever. And when this good news finds a home in your heart, you can know that you know that you know that I am his and I will be his forever and nothing can snatch me out of his hand. He is my good shepherd. And so we know there's a forever. Uh, We don't know what it consists of. Even as we look to the scriptures, there's little glimpses of what eternity will look like and what we can expect. The, The apostle John through the revelation caught a lot of this and saw some things that are mysterious to us, but we really don't know what the future is going to hold in eternity, but we do know the one who holds the future. And we can know him now for all the days of my life. And we can have every expectation that we will dwell with him in eternity. This word dwell in both Hebrew and Greek pops up in our Bible again and again and again. And it it describes God's heart for each of us. He wants us to, to, to abide with him, to move in, to cohabitate, to remain, to stay put, to be connected. Jesus used uh, this same word that was translated from the Septuagint. He uses it in John 15, It's exact same meaning. John 15, four, Jesus says to his disciples as he's about to, be crucified, abide in me and I in you. And so we have this this mystical connection through faith with our savior, Jesus. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. And so it's it's one, it's distinct, but it's one, it's connected, has a life-giving force. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. And that's some of that goodness and mercy that God wants to bring to us and through us to the rest of the world. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so this idea of of abiding with God is something that Jesus has brought to fruition, no pun intended. And David didn't have a concept for this. He had vague ideas of the Messiah, an eternal King, a descendant of his own, the God's promises. And uh, there would be a prophet and a high priest, and, but, but he, he didn't see Jesus. He expected God to fulfill his promises. And so as David considers what dwelling with God would look like forever of being at home with God, a protected adopted child, he uses this phrase in the house of the Lord. And this is a phrase that pops up again and again in the Psalms and particularly with David, Psalm 27, four and five. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in, in the house of the Lord, all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Here, David's knowledge of God was connected to his presence in the tabernacle, in the temple, in the place where God dwelt among men, a, place where, a physical place where he could go and pray and, and encounter something of God's presence and be reminded by the setting that God is near and that God exists with his people, Israel. And so David was earnest about, about seeking out the presence of God. And you know, I, I encounter people from time to time, even actually just before we started recording, a gentleman pulled up in the parking lot and knocked on the door and people have an impulse to come to a house of worship, expecting to experience something of God's presence. I know people who come from a Catholic background and would go to an open uh, parish church and light a candle and pray, and they would just feel God's presence in, in the place. And in the Old Testament, that was the case. I mean, God's presence dwelt in the most holy place in in the Holy of Holies, in the temple. And that was the way in which God was present with his people. And th- there was a separation there and there had to be atonement for there to be any, any movement between God and people. Then he dwelt in the Ark of the Covenant before that and by pillars of fi- fire and, and smoke and a burning bush and, and mysteriously with Adam and Eve in the garden, God's always been uh, with his people, but you know that God's not with us in the church building. I mean, Bill and I are in here recording in this empty, building, nobody's here. Um, God is here. He's equally present everywhere. And just as much as he is in your living room or your kitchen, or whenever you're listening to this at any point, audio, video, I mean, uh, he's there he's cause he's everywhere, but God is uniquely present now because of what Jesus has accomplished for us, not in a temple made with hands, but in his people and by his spirit. You'll recall in John chapter two, the Jews come to Jesus and demand a sign. What sign do you show us for doing these things? In 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. He was standing near the temple and in three days, I will raise it up. And so he was saying, if you knock down the temple, I'll reconstruct it in three days. This is what they heard. Of course, that's not what he meant. He was talking about his own death, his own body. He was the temple of God. He was the full manifestation, the presence of God on earth in human form, right there in front of them, next to the very symbol of that presence, the temple. And so he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up on the third day. And that's exactly what he did. But they didn't understand the Jews said in verse 20, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? Verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. And so God dwelt with his people, Israel in the temple. And then God dwelt in the earth among his people and with all the peoples of the earth in the person, Jesus. But through his life and death and resurrection, he has ushered in a new age. And through his ascension, he's now reigning from the right hand of majesty and has sent God, the spirit to reside in every single follower of Jesus, to be joined with Jesus is to be a temple of God. 1 Corinthians three sixteen. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? The apostles understood this. Peter, in 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, speaking of Jesus. As you come to him, you yourselves, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is why we take a weekend to live stream only for the sake of our families and our volunteers, but the church must continue to gather because when we gather together in a unique way, the presence of God is there to bless his goodness and mercy uh, meet with people who do not have his spirit within them and yet are in our presence because we are being built together and through our relationships and through our worship, God manifests his presence by his spirit. This is what the church is meant to be. And David only got a glimpse of this. And as he looked to eternity, what he knew was because of his relationship to the shepherd, his relationship to the Lord God, that he would have a home in heaven, in God's house. But in this age, between now and when Jesus comes back, brothers and sisters, we are God's house. And he is building a house for himself, a people for himself. And he's zealous for us to be alive and to be bringing other people into the saving knowledge of who Jesus is. I love the way the author of the letter to the Hebrews says it in his opening verses or her opening verses. that's my shepherd, that's who's got my 2022. That's who knows my days and my trials and my sadness and who will hold me in whom I can trust. Brothers and sisters, we don't need to look back and to evaluate the past. We don't need to make calculations and projections about the future. We don't need to position ourselves to benefit maximally and to hedge against risk and, and to think about uh, and spend our, our days worrying about inflation and markets and, and, and grocery stores not having the things that we need and the worst of the things that could happen and disease and sickness and mandates. And we have a shepherd who's bringing us through all of those things. And what we can expect as we follow him, even without knowing what the future holds is that we are gonna be pursued by his goodness and by his mercy. And when he brings us to our last days and every one of our days are numbered, we will find ourselves welcomed finally home. The big picture of the Bible is that while we are welcomed home into heaven, that is really only God's waiting room for when he brings about his purpose to restore the whole earth He wants to dwell with us on this planet, redeemed, renewed, restored. And he wants to rule and reign in a kingdom that is global. There is no government between now and Jesus' return that can manage a good and righteous and merciful global government. But we have a king and we are expecting his imminent return. I wanna wrap it up here. And I want you to consider the fact that Psalm 23 begins and ends with, The Lord. Do you see that? The Lord is my shepherd. Verse 1 and verse 6 I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 is bracketed by the person of the God of heaven, the Lord of hosts, Jesus, our Emmanuel. David had an anchoring relationship with God, a faith in him that constricted his thinking and his acting, that directed his steps, that drew him back in and corrected him when he went astray. And you need that same anchoring relationship. I need that same anchoring relationship. As we consider the end of 2021, and we're going into 2022 AD, the year of our Lord, Anno Domini, it is his year. It is his year. He is ruling and reigning and has been since his ascension and in eternity past. And so we just acknowledge the reality of who God is. And then we get to rest in the fact that the God who's holding the whole universe together by the word of his power is my shepherd who's leading me in the details of my life. We don't have to find significance, success, security, wealth, popularity. All we need is to have the Lord as our shepherd and to walk the path that He has created for us to expect him through our life to make us lie down in green pastures, to lead us beside still waters, to bring us through the valley of the shadow of death, to to host us and have wonderful times in his presence, even in the midst of strife and, and struggle. Ultimately to know that every single day from now and when we meet him face to face, we can expect to be pursued and overtaken by his goodness and mercy. And for our eternity, we have every expectation that he is eager to welcome us home. In the meantime, we get to experience little outtakes of his many blessings through our friends and our family and and nature, but but in a real way as we gather on Sunday mornings and throughout the week and in small groups and around his word, we get to experience something of the presence of God with us individually and corporately and to be an outpost of God's eternal kingdom in this broken world. This is what this is what Christmas Eve was about to to light a flame and to recognize that with one small flame, we live our lives to glorify our God in heaven, but together uh, we can light the sky. And that is what we're committed to doing. And that is where we're gonna put our focus as we beginning the, the year of 2022 and consider what it looks like to be the church that God has called us to be. I'm excited to get into that with you. And I'm really excited to be back in the sanctuary, lifting our voices together and worshiping alongside of you uh, and engaging in God's word. And so thank you for streaming with us this uh, Christmas weekend. Thank you for helping me to wrap up this series and just considering um, what David leaves us with in verse six, that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you. Uh, that you are near to us, that your thoughts toward us are beyond what we can imagine, that you're waiting to be gracious to us. God, I pray for every person who's still listening, God, that you would speak this message directly to their heart, that we would all begin to know you as our shepherd more intimately, more closely, to feel your protective rod and staff, to know your nearness and hear your voice, to follow you through the dark places and to experience refreshing times in your presence. God, thank you that we can have the confidence David had that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And even beyond death's door, God, through faith in Jesus, we know that we have a home with you forever. And I pray that you'd make that reality real to people who don't know it, who haven't believed it. God, I pray that they would have faith to receive, faith to believe, and that you would make them you are ransomed and res- and redeemed son or daughter on this christmas weekend god we love you and thank you in jesus mighty name and all god's people said amen amen god bless you merry christmas look forward to seeing you next sunday